Welcome to the Athlete Performance Education Podcast, where we aim to educate, empower, and excel athletes and coaches to the next level of performance. Welcome back to another episode of the APE Show. In today's episode, we're going to be covering off training in lockdown, what it looks like, what it should look like, how can we make sure we're getting something out of it, how we can create some motivation and some purpose with our training to put us in a really strong and positive position when we are to return back to the track or the field or those sporting events that we love so much. And one of the main things I want to focus on today is focusing on controlling what we can control. Now, it's something you might hear a little bit in the media at the moment, on TV, on the radio, um, from a psychology perspective. But really what we want to focus on from a training perspective is if we don't have access to equipment or the facilities that we normally use, how can we then make our training purposeful by controlling what we can control? One of the other things I want to think about is not necessarily how can we get better and how can we improve you know, our sporting performance, our athletic performance or potential, but how we can minimize our detraining effects. So what training, what steps can we put in place to minimize things going wrong? So when we are to return to that full training capacity, we're minimizing the gap between our pre-lockdown performance and our post-lockdown return to training. One of the um, key lessons from this, if, you, if you're into reading, is that of Atomic Habits um, of James Clear. It talks about the idea of compounding those results over time and making sure that when we do have those losses that they're only 1% or 2% and it's not a 50% or 100% loss of that training quality or that uh, habit, whatever it may be. Okay, so moving on to what you can do. What can we control? Well, it depends on your needs as an athlete from a physical perspective. You know, there's simple things like run, riding, and swimming. Even walking can be great if you've got hills. Adding in hiking can be a terrific way for developing that aerobic capacity. But first, we have to take a physical um, understanding of, of what is your sport, what are the tasks at hand that you need, and how can we minimize those training responses. Now, almost every single sport is going to have an aerobic component. So making sure that we're still facilitating that, either through run, riding, or swimming, depending on what we have access you know, if you're lucky enough to be near the ocean, getting into ocean swimming can be a terrific way for low-level um, aerobic development. Um, if you've got access to bikes, it can be a great way to increase your volume of training and your length of training without compounding too much joint stress, which we might see with running. And then also, if you are able to run, which most of us should be able to do, is really looking at how we can formulate and structure that to be really effective. So when I look at those three sort of modes of exercise, I'm looking at running and riding being my intensity ones. Swimming, if it's an option, can be more of the recovery or the aerobic capacity exposure. But specifically, I'm looking at running and riding to induce that intensity. And more or less running. So running or sprinting is going to be your opportunity for getting high intensity training in um, to, to elicit sort of chronic adaptations in that, in that space where we're looking at high intensity running, sprints, repeat efforts, interval training. Running is going to be your best method. You can absolutely facilitate this on riding as well. But in terms of best bang for buck, it'll be running for that specific goal. And then our riding sort of sits somewhere in between where we can absolutely ramp up the intensity that we might see in running from a cardiovascular and from an energy expenditure perspective. But we can also utilize it for long aerobic bouts as well, which will minimize some of the joint stress that we might see if we're increasing our running loads too much. So there you can sort of look at those three um, approaches to training. Specifically for most people, it's probably more running and riding about how you can use them to increase your training loads appropriately. If you're to reflect on your own current training and you might be running two or three times a week um, and you're looking for what more you can do, rather than trying to just run every single day, go four, five, six runs a day, 
trying to build that in with some cycling or some swimming if you have access can be great ways. Looking at more aerobic work to start with and then building that to more anaerobic or interval-based efforts as you build into it. As a general rule of thumb, um, two as a minimum standard, so two times a week of a certain session will, will drive adaptation. Um, three is usually the sweet spot. Four is achievable if you're balancing your loads correctly. And then anything over that, it might be more looking at your whole week holistically and working out how much you're doing. So if you're running four times a week, running five, you might not get as much benefit as you were if you were to add in, say, a cycling session as a general rule. Obviously, there are specific nuances and variability to these um, generalizations, but there's simple ways to sort of reflect on your own training and, and, and rectify what you might currently be doing. So our recommendation would be looking at um, two to three conditioning sessions a week if you're looking to improve or drive adaptation, as well as minimizing detraining if you're a field sports athlete or a court sports athlete in particular, that two or three every second day, um, two or three sessions a week training every second day is a, is a great way to do that, alternating between the aerobic steady work and the interval work. Second area we can look at is our strength work. So if we were just to take equipment completely out of the equation to start with, um, if you have access to equipment, that's fine. If you have access to equipment, you're probably in a strong position to understand the training you should be doing anyway. Now, in most cases, we're heading into an off-season period for sport as well. So we're looking at general capacity development. So doing general capacity work, um, what we call general preparatory movements, uh, things like our squats, our deadlifts, push-ups, bench press, chin-ups, all that sort of stuff. From a general workload perspective, it's fine. No need for anything super specific. You might want to put in some unilateral work as well. But I'd really be looking at building out your capacity, so your ability to tolerate more work or more load without necessarily having to focus too much on the intensity. And that's what you'll probably find in most cases that you don't have an, um, an ending amount of weights that you have access to. So looking at what weight you can lift for a certain repage and trying to increase your ability to do that for more repetitions or reducing your rest periods to tolerate greater work capacity. Now, if you don't have access to equipment, there is a range of body weight work you can do. In particular, there's one specific area of training that I find really, really useful for this time, um, and that's isometric work. And specifically for our ground-based athletes, so anyone who's running on feet, field, court, or athletics, doing isometric work can be a great way to maintain tissue tolerance and tissue load for then ensuing workloads later on down the track. So specifically, we're looking at things like calf raise holds. And what we're really trying to make sure we focus on is staying um, up nice and tall, keeping the knees straight, and keeping the weight through the ball of the big toe. What you should find is you should find the longer you do this, the more engaged you feel the muscle structure working. If you're finding that it's dropping off, then you're probably not holding a terrific posture. So really trying to focus on holding these postures for an um, extended period of time. For body weight isometric work, we look at sort of at minimum 30 seconds and extending up to 45 seconds. You can even do um, super maximal efforts where extending that for a longer period of time. But generally speaking for that tissue tolerance or that tissue load, 30 to 45 seconds is a great sweet spot. Another one is a lunge hold. So holding the lunge position as strong as you can with a nice upright torso. What you'll feel here is again throughout the hold or the isometric um, stance, you should find that muscle recruitment continue to intensify throughout so you're not just feeling in the quadricep or the glute or the hip structure, you're feeling it extend through that whole muscle system throughout the hold. Um, so the longer you hold it, the more you feel that engagement. 
Another great one uh, is looking at hamstring holds. So you can do this from um, two seats or a couch and a ta coffee table uh, where you have your heels elevated by one structure and then your shoulders elevated by the other. So your body is essentially acting as a plank um, with your belly facing up. And you can do this double leg or single leg, bringing one leg into your chest. And you're essentially holding that structure in a straight leg position, challenging that hamstring from both the knee joint and the hip joint. It's a fantastic way to keep that conditioning specifically for running, but can also have great tolerance for other people who have high hamstring development um, recruitment requirements in their sport. But that's another excellent one we use. And then most of you will be familiar with things like Copenhagen holds or short and long lever adductor holds. We're essentially we're lying in a side plank position and we're elevated by our top leg being held by a structure. It's another great one to really target that adductor, which again for running, even if it's straight line, we still use a lot of adductor recruitment for our initial knee lift from a biomechanical standpoint. So utilizing adductor holds can be a great way to um, mitigate the, the soreness that we get from our running that we're probably doing as well, but it also pairs really nicely. So another recommendation with the isometric work is that we can sort of organize it around our running. Personally, I prefer to do a running day into an isometric day as I find I get a really nice tissue response that way and I allow for recovery to occur from my running load from an aerobic perspective and then I can get some work into my tissue structures without fatiguing them too much more from the isometric work. We can then obviously move into our body weight strength work as well. Whereas I was alluding to earlier about the repetition work where we're trying to increase our capacity to do the same amount of work more efficiently or extend the amount of work we're trying to do. So with the exercises that I'm about to go into, it's looking at what we can currently do from a repetition maximum perspective and extending our ability to do that more with good quality or by reducing the rest recovery between movements. So things we're looking at here is like a hamstring bridge. So things where the feet are elevated and we're bridging our hips up to the roof can be a great way to challenge our hip structure and our hamstring work dynamically. We can do the same thing as with the Copenhagen holds or the adductor holds, making it um, dynamic by lifting. So lowering your hips towards the ground and then lifting your hips up. We do the same thing with our lunges and our arabesques. So working on that single leg stability. Now, whilst this has a musculoskeletal stress, it's more of a coordination fatigue. So looking at our ability to, to extend and control and coordinate our body under fatiguing elements and extending our, our body's ability to coordinate that system or that movement. And then of course, everyone's favorite is push-ups. Now, if we do push-ups right, we're gonna get a lot of benefit from both um, an anterior and posterior perspective of the upper body. So talking about the shoulder structure from both in front and behind the body. If we organize ourselves to do really, really effective push-ups, we can get a lot out of this. My recommendation if you're looking at incorporating push-ups or you're already doing push-ups is having a bit of a reflection on how you're doing it. So as the name suggests, push up. We love to focus on pushing up from the ground first. A lot of people will struggle with the eccentric component, which is the lowering. So that's your body's ability to lower down. Now, if this is the overextending or the fatiguing part of the um, push-up, what we can do is we can build strength by working through the concentric phase, which is pushing up off the ground and then doing what we can on the way down by absorbing as much as we can. Lying on the ground, a simple way to do it is then take your hands off, we call it a hand release, and then press back up, trying to push your body up as one straight unit. That can be a really effective way to increase your ability to extend how many push-ups you can actually do, whilst also trying to bridge that gap of your body's ability to lower and then continuously perform push-ups. So just recapping on that, a great recommendation if you're looking to increase your push-up strength is start lying on the ground press up in one strong movement, 
lower yourself back down to the ground again, so you're resting on the ground, and then repeat that pattern. You can do this really effectively from your knees as well, as you build that push-up strength from the ground, and you can also start to work out what feels comfortable for you. The second thing we can look at with push-ups is our hand position and our elbow position. This will differ a lot for females to males, but as a general rule of thumb, we want our hands to sit just outside our chest in line with our sternum. Some people will prefer to have them a little bit higher, some people a little bit lower and closer to their body. Essentially, from a shoulder structure perspective, we want to create as much space as possible for that shoulder to move and function. And somewhere just outside that sternum, just outside that chest, below the shoulder height is a really good position. So your elbows are pretty much pointing on a 45 degree angle. So there's a couple of things to think about next time you add in your push-ups. But again, we're working through that body's ability to tolerate either more work in a shorter period of time or increase your capacity to extend out without um, irritating any technique flaws. The other area you can look at from a physical training perspective, which I think is a great bang for buck because it's no real different to what we do in a gym, is our plyometrics or our jumps development work. So there's a couple of key things we can focus on here. Predominantly, it's around capacity building from a long coupling and a short coupling. And we'll talk about this in other podcasts about plyometric training specifically, but we're looking at essentially two types of jumps to build capacity. We're looking at things that are short and reactive with ground contact. So things like your skips or your pogos, where you're essentially touching the ground and trying to jump off as quickly as possible. And then our long coupling jumps, which are looking at utilizing a lot of hip generation or force generation through the lower body to generate force into jumps. And these are your more of your traditional jumps, things like you might have done in the gym with box jumps, um, counter movement jumps, broad jumps, and what have you. So they're sort of the two styles of jumps we look at. And as I said, we look at it from a capacity perspective, but then we also look at it from a technique perspective. So the first thing we want to focus on is performing the jumps with good technique, and then we want to challenge that technique under capacity. And this is the first area of development we want to focus on with plyometrics, and the beauty about being in lockdown right now is you don't need any equipment to do that. If you jump on our socials, you can find some examples of the jumps we use, but essentially what we want to make sure is that we're including some long coupling jumps that are about force generation, and then we're looking at some short coupling jumps which are looking at force application where we're applying the force to the ground. So jump on our socials, have a look at some of the videos we use there, some of the exercises that we use. Um, whenever you're doing this, it's all about finding your capacity of training to work with. So what you're comfortable with from a coordination perspective, and then making sure it's something that you can add into your training without it um, irritating any other areas of training you're doing. So for example, if you're already running a couple of times a week and then you add the bodyweight strength, that would be enough. And then once you're competent with the bodyweight strength and the running, then you might look at incorporating plyometrics around that too. We always recommend just checking in with your own coach or support staff or your own club or what sports team, however your structure is set up. Our door and our phones are always open for a conversation for advice in this space as it can be really hard, challenging to organize your training um, in the current climate. They're the sort of areas we can look at from a physical training perspective. Another key thing to think about, especially if you have a skills-based sport, is practicing that skill. Now, it can be really frustrating if you play football, soccer, or basketball or something at the moment and you can't get your team together to perform the normal drills and trainings that you will to develop that skills. Well, what we can focus on is what I touched about earlier about keeping our touch capacity up so we're not minimizing it, so we're minimizing our D training and we're not losing that skill development. So, whilst it might be hard to improve our skill development, we want to focus on not losing it. So, simple, simple things like having a, a repetition challenge of how many times you're going to touch the ball. 
um, a day or a week or how many times a week you're going to practice your skill and putting time aside for that. From a skills development perspective, and when we look at the research, it doesn't need to be a lot. When we're looking at technical skill execution, we're looking at high repetition, closed environments, and high frequency. There is a low fatiguing cost for this, so it's something you can incorporate into your training quite frequently. And what we're looking at is practicing the skill multiple times in the same setting to ensure that that muscle coordination and that muscle memory stays put and allows us to minimize that detraining. So if you're a basketballer and you can get to a hoop or you've got one in your backyard or something, it's about putting up the same shot over and over again and really coordinating yourself to maintain that skill. And if it's football, it's about getting the same amount of touches on both sides of your body, practicing the fundamental actions of your, of your skills. So when you do get back to it, that detraining or that refreshment of skills is going to be as minimal as possible. So that's a really important thing that we want to focus on. Whilst we're ticking off the physical stuff to keep ourselves in condition, we want to make sure we're still keeping our technical refinement. The only thing that we'll obviously miss is that game sense or that tactical um, gameplay, which we really can't simulate in the, um, in the current climate. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, and it's a bit more valuable from a physical training perspective, is um, the concept of being out of sight, out of mind. And I've had this conversation with a few athletes recently just about how they're feeling about their sports and where they're at with their training. And I think it's really important that, you know, obviously it has to be authentic and, 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 um, and values-driven, but keeping in touch with your teammates, keeping in touch with your coaches, keeping in touch with your support staff at this time is really important in a two-way street. One, to look after your own well-being and those around you, and also checking in with, with those around you, making sure they're doing okay. And I think the other thing, the, the, the value you take out of that is that by keeping that connection and by staying in touch and communicating with those um, in your team or your organization is about creating a framework for staying fresh in their mind, whether it be later down the track from a selection process, from a performance process, from a relationship process um, or perspective. It's really about just maintaining those qualities, maintaining those contact points, um, touching base, checking in, and having a, a, a comfortability where, where you're not out of sight, out of mind, where you're present, you're engaged. And what that can lead to is it can lead to maintaining that motivation, maintaining that connection. So when it comes to doing these day-to-day mundane training drills and stuff, you remind yourself of what your purpose is and what your why is and why you're investing your time to stay in condition and what are we training for. It's all well and good to have some frameworks and suggestions about what we can do, but understanding that bigger picture and that connectedness to those around us is another really, really invaluable thing to to, um, be considering. Now, for anyone who's listening to this today and you're at a crossroads with your own training, you need some support, you're interested in some of the stuff we talked about, but you're not quite sure how it fits in, our socials, our contacts, we're always open. Please feel free to reach out. We can organize a time to chat. We can help provide some resources from a training perspective, whether it be from a running, body weight, strength work, um, home strength work, anything like that. What we tend to find works really well is just we call them management and mindset meetings. And it's just a quick catch up and a chat to talk about where you're at with your training, where you're hoping to go, and what we can sort of help with to help you get there. Um, Once you've had that, you can sort of walk away with a bit of a framework and understanding about how to attack your next training block or your next training challenge. And we can help you get there on that journey. Um, you can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all the socials at Athlete Performance Ed. Um, please reach out if you've got anything. And we hope you take something from this podcast.